Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, yeah. I'm Chris Wilson. And I'm Dylan Gregory. And we host Backstage Gaming, a weekly podcast about video games and storytelling. We both play pretend professionally. Sometimes on stage with other people. And sometimes alone in a soundproof room. So join us every Monday while we talk about games, acting, and how a story comes together. Backstage Gaming. Dramatic takes on your favorite games. Part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another Retro Gaming Podcast. This is episode 210 of the Rcast. I am your host, David Gilson, and with me are a few very special guests. Uh, so we have uh, some people from the EGM alum, if you will, back in the 90s, uh, starting off with Dan Shu. How's it going there, Shu? Hey, how are you, David? Doing good. And also Crispin Boyer. Hello, how are you? Doing good, doing good. And also Sean, the Seanimal Smith. How's it going there, Sean? <laughs> What's going on? Glad to be here, especially with uh, these two old schoolers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you're all old schoolers for sure. But yeah, the last millennium, but different, <laughs> a whole different thousand years. Pre millennials. Yeah. Right. That we are. I mean, we were talking about time travel earlier before, anyway. So we're truly going back in time now to talk about EGM or Electronic Gaming Monthly. So I figure we'll start off actually. Uh, you know, just wanted to ask you guys: When did each of you start working at EGM? And what was the state of the gaming industry then? Sean, you were first. Why don't you go first? Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> It was actually a really funny story that I'll have to touch on. But um, yeah, it, it was, I mean, I was super, super, super young. Um, I, I was brought on on a part-time basis. I was basically in junior college and... I had read EGM. <laughs> I was simultaneously incredibly excited and absolutely terrified. Uh, I'd never had a full-time job like that. I mean, I was part-time, but I didn't have a job like that, I should say. Mm -hmm. So it's like coming into this thing that I loved and knew of and was somehow a part of in a very small way at that time was uh, just just incredible. But of course, it was also like a ridiculous place. Like it's exactly what you would think. I mean, it was just like a bunch. It was like a uh, like people really loved gaming, but pretty haphazard. So it was kind of like a frat house sort of like mentality, I guess, back then. Or? No, oh, yeah. it was super super professional. Yeah, <laughs> real buttoned down and everything. Yeah, <laughs> it was a very it was a it was a professional frat house. Okay, right. to put it in perspective, we were allowed to wear shorts until one guy ruined it because he had a hole and his balls were hanging out. 
So then they outlaw shorts. That's kind of the, the level of professionalism we're dealing with. Uh, that, yeah, that is not an exaggeration, just to be clear. I'm sorry, scrotum, not bald. I don't mean to be clear. <laughs> yeah, the medical terms here, for sure, yeah. <laughs> so I started, Sean was already there when I started, and then, uh, which was in April of 1996. And uh, yeah, so this was my first writing gig. At the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do out of college, and I just sent my resume to a bunch of different places, and I knew I would love to get into the gaming industry, and something about my cover letter caught the attention of the editorial director at the time, Joe Funk. And so he called me up and asked for more writing samples, and I, if I didn't have caller ID, I would have thought it was some kind of prank. Like, what the <laughs> hell? Like, EGM is calling me to write for them. And I used to read the magazine. You know, I used to run out to the newsstands to get it. And... Um, yeah, so I sent in more writing samples, and then uh, they hired me. It was a super surreal. Like, I, I can't imagine I did a good job interviewing because um, I think I was just nervous, and I was just – it was sort of a out-of-body experience of, like, oh, am I really here at EGM? <laughs> Is this and, actually happening to me right yeah, now? Yeah, <laughs> and they want me to write for them and not – because I would have done anything for the magazine. I just wanted to get my foot in the door. But they were like, no, we want you to be on Literally the anything. It was like the casting couch. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you need, wink, wink. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then it was like weird walking around the office and seeing people with televisions and Super Nintendos and Playstations on their desks at, in their cubicles. Like, this is a work environment. This is so surreal. And I almost messed it up because at the time, I've gone through different gaming phases in my life. And at the time, I was more a PC gamer. Uh, I think what would I have been playing? Maybe, maybe like first-person shooters in uh, real-time strategy games back in those days. Like Wolfenstein, things like that? or A little bit later than that. I think it was like more like Duke Nukem 3D and Quake 1 and 2 mm. uh, real-time strategy games. So I wanted, I was kind of like, when, while I was interviewing, I was kind of, I dropped a little hint that I wouldn't mind going to work for the computer gaming magazine that they had. Do you guys remember the name of it? I can't remember. Our sister magazine. It wasn't PC Gamer, was it? Was it literally called Computer Games? Gaming World, right? Oh, Computer Gaming World. Yeah, that's well, right. no, that was la- that was later after Sid Davis oh. itself, the, like the original. Oh. Uh, well, yeah. anyways, regardless, I was like, that's the magazine I really want to work for. Uh, and then thank God I didn't because EGM was a much bigger thing. It lasted much longer. And uh, and like I said, I go through these different phases. And then now, soon after that, I'm like, now I'm a console gamer again. Uh, so and that was awesome. It seems like like EGM was slightly more functional than the computer gaming magazine as well. Like, relatively speaking. Yeah, it, it was the big magazine. I, that was, like, the flagship title, and that's where most of the money went uh, in terms of advertising and that, that's the, the bigger subscriber numbers and newsstand sales numbers. So that was the right magazine to be at if in terms of, you know, longevity and also uh, maybe, like, standing with the fans and stuff. I don't want to act like the other magazines sucked or whatever, but <laughs> they, they were no EGM. It's true. Yeah, I mean, I started on the same time as Shu, and I know Sean was already there, and uh, I was working as a newspaper reporter. I was only about six months out of college with a journalism degree. I worked at a, a, a small daily newspaper, and I covered politics and peace and uh, health. And uh, I would, you know, have to go to, like, boring meetings, like county commissioners and health department meetings. I went to, uh, and I'd always been a big fan of, of EGM and video game magazines in general, magazines like Next Generation the other one I really liked. And I always wanted to work for video game magazines. I wanted to work in magazines, period. 
didn't really want to, uh, I figured that newspapers would be a stepping stone, but I thought, wow, if I can work for EGM, that'd be awesome. So uh, I went to a health department meeting and it started late. I walked across the street and saw the new EGM. And so I picked it up and was leaping through it. I saw in the back, they had an ad that they were hiring editors. And it, told, you know, it said, this is what you do. You, fill it, send it, you fax in sample reviews and your resume. Like, oh, awesome. Okay, well, I'll give it a shot. So I, I think I reviewed uh, Descent. It was like a Descent game for the PlayStation. And then... Oh, nice. Right. Yeah, I remember that. I can't remember what the other one was, but I'm some forgettable game. And anyways, I, I faxed it in. And like two days later, I got a call, just like Shu, from the editorial director. And he said uh, he really liked my samples and my resume. And I was in North Carolina at the time, and he said, well, can you fly out for an interview? And, and, you know, I was like right fresh out of college. I felt like, oh, wow, this is like for a sports team. They're flying me out. And there was like, <laughs> going to a big city, going to Chicago. So it was like a whirlwind trip. I, I, you know, got on the plane, went to Chicago. I met Shu briefly. I don't think I met Sean. I think Sean was like too, too important. Or like, I, was probably late. I was probably like roughly 15 to 20 minutes late. The thing is, Sean, you weren't late. It was other. We know the other people who were late, and then they'd be forced to sit outside the meetings. And that. Was oh hilarious. gosh, I remember that. <laughs> well, this, this is this is what I remember. I, I want I I'm gonna let you finish, Crispin. But I remember <laughs> Shu and I were like, "Who the f is?" I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, so I'm gonna. Oh, you can, it. you can, yeah. Oh, sweet. Who the fuck you is this him. Guy? If you're gonna say anything, they scrote him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Who the scrotum was this? Who the scrot? Yeah, who the scrotum is this guy rolling up in a limo while Shu and I are trying to work over here? Like I had to drive my shitty ass hatchback in. Hey, you were living way out in Joliet. Yeah, it was a terrible, terrible situation. So Shu, Shu and I think right off, right off the bat, we're a little bit like, I, I, nah, like I don't know about this guy. Plus, plus he's a ginger. <laughs> you can't trust those gingers. Yeah, no, you can't. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I was really just like Shu. It was, it was, you know, it was wow. It was like all these people that I would uh, see their names in the magazine, and you know, they would have what they called floating heads. You see their little faces in the magazine, like, oh yeah, I recognize that guy. I recognize that guy. Um, and then I was offered the job on the spot, which was great. That, then I had about a half an hour to find a place to to like get an apartment because I was immediately going to fly home and tell my. Uh, newspaper editor to scrot them off. I got. <laughs> I went and I found an apartment uh, nearby. Sean and I ended up becoming roommates in the same apartment complex. We should go into the apartment situations at some point because it was like Melrose Place, where all the editors basically <laughs> yeah. all lived in either in the same complex or or like right across the street and would have all these crazy parties. But anyways, uh, that's that was pretty much how that's how I got my job. And if that health department meeting had started on time, I probably would not have seen the ad. I would still be covering the, uh, the, the county commissioners talking, complaining about serving alcohol on Sunday to this very day. Oh, wow. The other big thing, though, just real quick, the, the EGM had a, they call it the game closet, which is where they had, uh, you know, games for every system and they had every system. And when I saw this game closet, I was like, I can't believe this exists. It's like, it's like everything I'd ever wanted, like every game system and every game ever made, and even prototypes and all this stuff. So yeah. after I started, I think the first weekend uh, that I was there, I was able to get a key to the gaming closet, and I basically OD'd on playing games. I think I stayed up that entire weekend just, oh, what's this? Thing? Oh, shit. Look at this controller, like specialty controllers and all this stuff, and I just taking them out and hooking them up and playing with them. It really was, yeah, it was like, uh, it, it was as much as wild as you can imagine. Yeah. 
it was it was a it was a library of games of every every type and size imaginable, including stuff that never came out. Yeah. Hmm. Well, because um, I've I've been to the IGN office like a few times, and I know they have like their own like you know basically closet like that, or just like a collection of games, or just like rare stuff basically like that. Uh, what's like the coolest thing you guys remember being in that closet at EGM? The um, I think the Star Fox unreleased Star Fox might have been there. Yeah, the Star, Star Fox Two. Star Fox Two. Yeah, or? yeah. I think there was oh, a lot wow. of that in there. And probably someone later took it and sold it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I walked in one time and Crispin was standing in there naked. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing that wowed me the most. Yeah, that's how you know how he was like living in the closet at that point. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, like, like, this is my home now. We're like, hey, uh, these games are tainted, literally. <laughs> I don't remember specific games that were super awesome. I remember like w- one of the last reviews we did for the Genesis was Lobo, uh, the, oh, the God, DC yeah. Comics oh, character. Yeah. And then uh, we played that and we had like Thrill Kill, that EA fighting mm. game based on a Wu-Tang Clan. And, I uh, call, yeah. stuff like that there's like th- these things that never made it to market or, or people just generally haven't heard of so uh i wouldn't say those are like awesome games that were like oh this was so cool but it was just neat that that existed you know and i think for a while like even because we had uh arcade coverage so we would sometimes get in uh our editors would get in arcade boards so we would be at the time like you know, now think you might think back like, yeah, that's not a big deal because the consoles are so good now. But at the time, to be able to play an arcade game uh, huge, yeah. was, a, was a big deal, right? So we would have these boards. Like I remember playing Soul, uh, Soul Blade and then uh, being able to play that before Soul Calibur came out and things like that. So that, that was all really cool. And we had full arcade machines in the office as well. That was the other part. I talked about it being surreal, having seen people with game consoles on their desk, but like we had a Killer Instinct uh, machine in yep. there. Uh, I can't remember some of the other ones. Like later, <laughs> yeah, because... NFL Blitz. We, we'll, we'll never forget that. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's it's because uh, Midway was based in Chicago, so uh, that was the closest arcade manufacturer, and then we had a good relationship with them. So our arcade editor would always get the latest runs. We had NFL Blitz and NBA Showtime, and when Gauntlet went 3D, we had that. And, oh, yeah, um, that's right. We also had Hydro Thunder for... Hydro Thunder. Oh, my oh, God. Man, so good. You play that in the arcade, that's three quarters. We got to play it for no quarters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a deal. So I guess like with that said, was there any beef uh, between you and other magazines like GamePro and Game Players, or was it more of like a friendly rivalry? Well, so to be clear, when I said that, I was talking about that was in the context of our magazines that we published at Sentai. Oh, the same family, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so that within the same family where EGM was the biggest one there. Mm-hmm. Um, so like other uh, groups like Game Informer or GamePro, uh, game fan, those guys were uh, next generation. Were all in different cities, so we didn't have, uh, we weren't working in the same building or anything like that. But definitely, it was always kind of competitive because uh, 
you know, like we're always like, oh, we we we're chasing after the same exclusives. It, it's it's a weird thing because when you go to events and you see these people, it's all really friendly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was my text. Never mind that. Yeah. Did you do that? <laughs> I had the raw Julia, of course, for my text like tone. A, yeah. You have like a soundboard ready to go. The, the ghost of raw Julia. <laughs> it always plays at the most inopportune times or the most opportune times, depending on what, on how you see it. So. Oh, that sounded intentional. It's like how it, it, is, yeah. it really does. Yeah. yeah, it's like a shock jock radio. I know. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but yeah, we we would go to like press events, and it was always like really friendly and uh, cool seeing the other guys. Uh, but then when we get when it got down to business, you're competitive, right? You want the next scoop, so yeah. you want the next exclusive or cover story. So it, it was definitely competitive, but nothing, uh, ne- never in a bad way. Because I'm still like friends to this day with some former editors at Next Gen and GamePro and Game Informer, all yeah. all those places. In those early days, especially, I mean, I think I got a little different as the industry, you know, uh, I guess, quote unquote, matured. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was always pretty friendly, even even when it was competitive and particularly at, at our level as as reviewers and writers. Um, it was it was a little different for us. I think maybe at the managing editor or EIC level and Shu, you can certainly speak to that. And Crispin, I think you can, too. But um, it maybe got a little different and a, and a little more complicated. But uh, I remember, you know. It was very friendly. I remember going on one trip, and I can't remember if either of you were with with me on this trip. But I think it was. I think we had gone to Salt Lake City. I think to play the first was it Twisted Metal. And when we got there, it was Reiner from Game Informer, and this was I I can't even tell you the year. It was so so long ago. We both got picked up by this local cab company. It was like this older woman in a station wagon and. And, you know, it's a little weird, but whatever. And we were just talking about, and it was the first time we had met. And as we were driving around, it was clear this lady did not like us or want us in her city. And <laughs> I'm already kind of like picturing in my head, like Pee Wee's Big Adventure with Large Marge. <laughs> like, yes. almost like I'm stepping into that. <laughs> it, it, I think if we had stayed in that car any longer, it would have went that way. Uh, <laughs> toward the end of the, of, the, of, of the ride, she was saying how all these drug dealers are coming into the city and which was <laughs> clearly referencing us apparently we're like we're game reviewers we <laughs> but uh it was it was getting very heated and thankfully she dropped us off before it got any worse but we we i mean we, yeah we we talked about that for years so i think it's like you know you, you kind of came up together you know because we were all doing the same thing at different pubs and because of that although it could get a little competitive i think we're mostly just you know professional friends yeah i mean i I guess it's kind of like how like the gaming industry is now today i mean obviously you have like a lot of like uh competing websites out there a lot you know competing uh podcasts and shows and all that stuff i mean um i speak with jeremy parish uh pretty regularly uh online and um you know obviously he has retronauts and i do a retro gaming podcast myself but you know i've had him on the show as well talk about metroidvanias and like we just kind of like just kind of feed off each other really based on like where our specialties are at or if you just want to have each other on the show and just like you know just talk about stuff so um it's pretty cool in that sense so crispin i i do have to ask you before we forget because you did mention uh, about like um the melrose place like parties and stuff yeah uh, i just want to make sure i give you time to actually talk about that before we forget we all lived pretty much within five minute walking distance of the office or, or you know 10 minutes very close but also very close to each other and you have to imagine you know, when, when she was talking about arcade machines, we're talking about the game closet. It's 
most distracting job in the world. Like, it's so <laughs> easy to procrastinate because, you know, you're surrounded by like, it's like, oh, I could be sitting here working or, or writing or, or working on a feature. And a lot of it was just the three of us writing the magazine. We certainly did the, all the reviews uh, along with uh, another guy who was, who, who did Sushi X stuff. So we had a lot of content to generate in, in one month, sometimes three weeks. Meanwhile, we're, we're surrounded by all these distractions. So we generally spent like all of our time together. We'd either be working together or we would, you know, basically all live right next to each other. We'd go to work together. She would have these epic parties at his place. Yeah. To the point where the police were called once. <laughs> she went out to. Oh, man, I know, love the story. Went out to confront the police. <laughs> and then, Not and confront he would, them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> words. I went to greet them. Yeah, you greet she them. Yeah. You're kind of a greeter. <laughs> he walked right through his screen door and knocked it off. <laughs> it was amazing. Also, with this, for some reason, the police police were like filming it, and it was some kind of like local version of cops. Yeah, it's very strange. But uh, yeah, it was just uh, yeah. We, we all live very close to each other. Whenever we, we'd go home, we play games with each other. When we were at work, we play games with each other. And, and meanwhile, we'd all be working, you know, on the magazine. Yeah, it was like crazy late hours. And after each deadline, we would get what you know comp time, which is few days off to make up for it. And then that was like, uh, that was like a uh, comp time was like getting out of prison. Cause then you can just play whatever games you want. <laughs> it's true. All hang out. We could, it, it was like wild. It was sleep, sleep a, till 3 PM. Exactly. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't feel like woozy from lack of sleep. But it was a weird vicious cycle because uh, we would, so you have a, you have a month to put together a magazine and then it's like about a week and a half of intense deadline. And then you need some recovery time. And then so we all like took it easy for about a week. Yeah. And then now we're like, oh, shit, we got two and a half weeks left to put together the next issue. And we're behind again and then working late hours. And it was just bad. And the, it wasn't until actually, I think, uh, Jennifer Sal, who was our managing editor, uh, probably starting around 2001 or so. And she really whipped us into shape, right? So, like when we hired, when I hired her, it was like, all right, one of the things you're in charge of is making sure things get done. And then she was like, all right, we we can't work on the like with huge peaks and valleys like that. Let's just level it out, just so everyone could have a more normal life. Because she was just like, I don't want to be here till midnight and one a.m. and things like that. So she really, she, I think she fixed a lot of those problems. But it was also, I think, because we we're young, uh, mm, it was just yeah. fun to work. Like I would never do that now. Like the kind of hours that we pulled at oh, each gosh, yeah. I just no way I could do that now. Especially like you have kids, uh, Sean, and like we mm -hmm. all we're all like in relationships and stuff. But at the time, it was so looking back. Like at the time, it was fun to just all right. We're just gonna we have to review a billion games. We're gonna stay up all night. Uh, and like uh, Christmas says, constant distractions. Especially when we because we're always getting new games in right. And every month, like. 20 30 new games and then some of them are going to be really awesome and then we're all excited especially multiplayer oh, yeah. a good multiplayer game just really messed us up like we did um were you around when we were reviewing like halo one sean no that was unfortunately after my time i only was able to experience that uh, of the retail release online with you guys oh okay so like, like halo one or tetris attack uh games like that when they hit the office it just kind of took over and then we would just spend a lot of time, like way more time than we needed to in putting in hours to quote unquote review the game. And it, it, even I remember one time we got, we had Halo one in and we had like four Xboxes set up. We had television set up so we could play up to 16 players. 
we only have three reviewers on that game, but every every like during deadline, uh, we would take breaks. Like let's help the reviewers out and let's let's get them some more <laughs> multiplayer playtime. Yeah, and then, exactly. And then like we'd all shut down and play Halo for like an hour or two hours or three hours, and uh, and then we do when uh, we stay late and do deadline dinners and after dinner we would play more Halo and it's it was awesome it was really fun but also not very productive. It was a very it was a very special time. I mean, I think I think back, you know, and I wasn't there, you know, I wasn't in the San Francisco office. My time ended in the Lombard offices uh, after I left and went to college, just like Rodney Dangerfield. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was truly a special time to to Shoes Point. Like like you can't. Like if if we were if really we're were any older and I, I I'd probably argue maybe even if we were any younger like it maybe wouldn't have worked the same way but it was uh, it was pretty special even with all the weirdos and goofballs uh, we, we, had a, we had a lot of we had a lot of fun it kind of sounds like almost um, like a second college life really like the way that you guys were living and partying and like you know doing Except your we job got paid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got paid doing this in this case. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted it to, you know, put together too. We were very had a lot of pride in the magazine, put together the best magazine. We also wanted to keep our jobs. This is a quick story. <laughs> one, one day, Shu and I thought the magazine was done at the end of a deadline. So Shu was like, you know what? I need to get my tires rotated or something. So I was like, all right. So we took his car and, and went and you got your tires worked on. And then we're like, oh, let's go to Dairy Queen and get some blizzards. Oh, God, I remember we, that. We went and got some blizzard ice creams. And this is pretty much right before cell phones too. So we were out of contact. So we came back to the office several hours later, running after, you know, getting running errands and we still had our, our blizzards, our, our, our uh, you know, our Dairy Queen ice cream. Mm-hmm. And the editorial director called us into the office and said, where the hell were you guys? Uh, you're late, the magazine's not finished. And actually it was funny because I remember too, before we walked in, we knew we were in trouble and Shu and I were like, should we take the ice cream into the office? <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, uh, we don't want it to melt. So we decided to take it in. We're sitting, we're, priorities. We're sitting there, exactly. Getting berated. We're, we're going to lose our job. We're sitting here with our ice cream. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe maybe the editorial director decided he just liked our moxie. Like, we just didn't give a shit. We went out on deadline. We got ice cream. Then we came into the office and we're eating it. It was like in the office space when the guy's cleaning fish at his desk. It's just, <laughs> like, don't give a shit. What are you going to do? Fire us? I don't know. <laughs> Guess I got more ice cream eating time. I, I have everything I need right here. Yeah, yeah I can't believe. Like, I, I say, I looking back, like because when I was uh, editor in chief or the editorial director, I would have been pissed if someone did that to me. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> can't believe we did that. I think uh, I think we're all we. I mean, we as 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 smart as we may have been with games, like we were all pretty dumb in our own way. <laughs> Christmas was right though. It's like we like to tell all the goofing off stories and all the times because those are the fun stories, right? Like of us fucking around. But we were really the reason we put in those hours and like there are times where we're sleeping under our desks. Like yeah. we go to bed around, we go to sleep around four o'clock under our desks and wake up at like a few hours later and get back to writing and uh, editing and all of that stuff. And you just do that two three days in a row and you're just exhausted and drained and. Uh, but it was just because we all cared, you know, like everyone yeah. was like really dedicated to the magazine and really wanted the, the, I think that's one of the things about working in print, uh, where it's, it all, you work all together to this one point, everything's finished and it's shipped off and then you get 
sent back a finished a packaged product right so unlike an online story it's like you write it it flares up for a few days it gets shared around virally or on social media and then it's gone it's just a blip it's like you put together this tangible thing that you could hold in your hands it's there forever kind of thing yeah Yeah. Yeah. and then you're like oh we put this together you know and the art directors put out these layouts and we negotiated this exclusive or we interviewed these people for the story Mm. and you see all of that stuff come together in this awesome package and then uh you're super proud of it so uh, i think it was really rewarding work yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I was the managing editor for Retro Magazine, and um, I was very fortunate in that regard, in order to, I guess, like have that same feeling as you guys. So I, I, f- I very much know that feeling as far as like you work on something, you put it together, you're working on something that's like bigger than your own thing. Everyone's pieces come together, and you just like see this physical thing you can hold in your hand, and everyone else has, and you know can also hold in their hand or collect or whatever it may be. And um, I don't know, it just has like that special feeling to it. So yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, there's there there is definitely something like almost like a product. I mean, it is certainly a product, but there is something that that's tangible. And I think you know there there's a reason why you know it's like why people still um, in the age of streaming content and downloadable content, why people still sometimes just want the actual game. <laughs> it's funny, but it works. These first few years, like you know, from the mid '90s, it was really the Wild West there because it, it was chaotic. The editor in chief at the time, Ed Semrad, was not the most <laughs> wasn't the most inspiring or organized guy. Um, nah. So he would come back. He would come back from Japan, where he would go to the Tokyo Game Show and just gather all these binders and stuff, and then come back and just throw it on our desk and say, "Here you go, write the magazine." <laughs> but it, it would be like we would literally like sometimes not know this cover story until two days before deadline, and suddenly like one of us has got to write it. It was it was like this crazy turbulent time where we were uh, you know having like the time of our lives, but at the same time it was kind of terrifying because it's like. You know, you got to write a two thousand word story or whatever, uh, and it's got to be legible or you know, it's got to make sense. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness for copy editors. Which one of us wrote the preview blurb for Blasto? Oh, Blasto! <laughs> right, that was the Phil Hartman game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Phil Hartman, and I think Sean and I were working on it was the pre E three preview or something, and all that we had for Blasto was, was a screen of the word of the title of the game, the logo of the game, and then another screen of the logo exploding. That's how we knew about it. That's before we even knew that Phil Hartman was in it. And then you, you got to write like 300 words about an yeah. exploding logo for a game called Blasto. <laughs> what, Blasto. What, what can you say about Blasto that hasn't been said already? <laughs> yeah, so like whenever people look back at old magazines and talk about like, uh, like like the depth of reporting or coverage maybe isn't quite there. Like they don't know like how hard like what we were working with because uh, I remember that uh, Ed Semrad story that Crispin just told. Like I got handed a flyer for the Nintendo sixty four version of Mario Kart, and but th- it was all in Japanese. Like and we didn't have a translator on staff, and this was like a late night. This needs to be written tonight to be pub- uh, to be sent to the printer the next day. So I'm doing the same thing where I'm looking, this is better than Blasto because at least I had real gameplay screenshots. <laughs> better than Blasto. <laughs> How is that possible? It should have been like the subtitle for it too. Like it's Mario Kart 64, <laughs> better than Blasto. <laughs> yeah. But with a question mark, because we're not sure yet. Yeah, better than Blasto? <laughs> Let's not pigeonhole ourselves. Right. <laughs> 
You leave it open for interpretation, yeah. <laughs> All I could do would literally was say the graphics are better and now you can hold more onto more than one banana. <laughs> like, I'm just like looking at these screenshots. Like all I could tell is what I could. All I could write about is what I could see through the screenshots. So, which was basically our, if I recall, that's our lorem ipsum was <laughs> better graphics and you can hold more than one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We obviously have much easier access to information on video games now than we did in the 90s. Uh, do you believe there's a sense of mystery or a lore missing that was present when magazines were king? I think so. I, I think you're, you're talking about a time like we, we talked to. I still hear from readers once in a while that talk about like, oh, Ichin was so great, like part of their childhood or whatever, teenagers growing up and getting that magazine was like you, you go a month. Uh, without any information, any updates about what's going on in the world, because this is pre-internet, right? Yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden you get this book, and then people are just, and this is my behavior back then, right? As a, before I worked at EGM, was like as a magazine reader, like, I don't know anything that's going on until I get my copy of EGM or Next Generation, and then I'm just like flipping through that, I'm like, oh, so this is happening, and this game console is coming out, and this sequel is getting announced, and this studio is working on this thing. And it was really amazing, because like now... You don't care. You, you can go look proactively, have Google, you know, you tell Google what you want to see, and then Google will serve it up to you. Uh, whereas uh, back then, it's like, sometimes you're like, I'm, I'm learning about things that this is the only way anyone in the world will find out about this stuff. Uh, and it could be like a new game that's coming out of Japan. We don't know if it's come out in the U US. And that mystery is, is fantastic. And there's no way for you to check or follow up on it until the magazine decides to do that and follow up on that story and give you an update later. So it was just a kind of a cool, I wouldn't say it's better. Like I like having the internet for sure, but it was just kind of a cool way to consume media. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And I think the, the closest analog I can think of nowadays where you capture some level of mystery is because there's just so much content constantly, both in terms of, of outlets covering games generally and however you define that. Right. I mean, I think we live in an age where, you have to at least consider somewhat the more casual side of games because some of them are really fantastically made and very, very fun to play, um, even if they aren't quite as deep as something that's on uh, the Switch or any of the other systems. But the difference, I think, for me is that there's just so many games now that some of the best games that... Uh, there's like the best games that are out there that you'll never play simply because you can't find them. And they're the and, and I'm talking more about uh, the the indie developers and really really small publishers of the world, where they get their due in very small outlets. But I think there's a level of mystery there where you have to seek it out. Still, you know, you have to like either find it on a random Instagram post or Twitter feed or mentioned on a blog randomly. Small developers that are doing amazing games, um, sometimes on iOS too and or iPad OS that. Uh, to me, that's the closest that they're going to come nowadays. But there is definitely something lost because of that waiting period where, you know, we as editors did our part to 
we did our best certainly. And, and it changed a lot after my time and, sh- you know, Shu and Crispin can speak more to that, but we really did our part to celebrate games. And I think that's, uh, that was, that's, that's pretty special, you know, cause it, it, people can get really cynical and shitty and we had our moments. <laughs> sure. But <laughs> one of my biggest takeaways that we we really loved and celebrated games. It was fun things that we, like we had a, a special subscriber insert that would go in each month that John put together the sushi X files like stuff going on that was going on with the staff playing games or just like really weird kind of scenes stories. The review section, I think, was kind of our bread and butter. I remember a specific instance with Sean that later kind of altered how we did reviews in the future between me and Sean. Because so when Sean and I were (laughs) reviewers, I remember, I can't remember the game, but I think I'm pretty sure it was something for the Saturn. Mm -hmm. And then we both reviewed it. And then I think... Sean, if I remember, you really liked it, and you were talking about giving it a 9.0, and I really didn't like it, and I was talking about giving it like a 6.5 or something like that. Uh, and then later, when we actually put our reviews down on to paper, and we we're like ty- typing or you know writing our review on scoring it, your score actually came down to 8.5, and mine went up to a 7.0 or something like that. Interesting. And I, and I, I, I knew that was a direct result of us influencing each other, right? Because we're like, because you were excited, and you're like, and then I think after you talked to me, you're like, oh, maybe you know, maybe she makes some good points, and vice versa. Where I'm like, oh, maybe it's better than what I give it credit for because of talking to you. Damn. And so when I became editor in chief, I made a rule. I that very specific story. Uh, influence policy because i told my reviewers i'm like all right you cannot discuss anything because i wanted a real because like crispin's right that was our bread and butter and people loved getting the three different viewpoints mm-hmm. or four different viewpoints we were eventually cut it down to three because it's just too much work but we're like okay we need to have real independent thought here and not homogenize the uh, opinions or scores at all so we're like, do not talk to each other. Do not give it each other any ideas of what you like or don't like or how much you like it. Write your review. And then the lead reviewer would write his or her review, score it, and then no one else can, uh, none of the other reviewers can uh, look at that until they have locked down on a score. So then, like, let's say I'm a second reviewer on the game. I could look at the main review and react to it, but only after I've decided what my score is and I can't change it from there. Mm. Do, do you remember the game, Shu? No, I'm I'm positive it was something for Saturn, and mm. uh, but I that's all I can remember. I don't remember the game, actual game. Man, I wish I wish I could. There was there was some real gems on Saturn, some turds as well, but some real gems. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Re- remember your review for uh, what was it Dragon Force? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like this is this joke. I love this. This joke has. It's, this is older. I think somehow it's as older than we are. <laughs> <laughs> somehow. Somehow. Uh, but yeah, so Dragon Force, part of my review, because it was such an immersive uh, tactics, I guess, is the, is the genre. Um, like a tactical game, yeah. Yeah, game, yeah, yeah. But that game was pretty early in that. You know, I mean, there's plenty in, in, in Japan, but in terms of US, it was, it was one of the earlier ones. And I just thought it was really fantastic the way that they... The, all of the characters that you could choose um, were so very clearly defined, and it, they they really um, did a wonderful job of of defining them, but yet leaving a bit of mythology to discover. So anyway, whatever reason I identified with one of the characters, as you do, <laughs> but I put it in my review. I think it was like, what was his name? Like Veen or something like that. 
You tell me, you became him. Yeah, that's I know. I really like embodied this character, and and I put this in my review, and was just made fun of relentlessly about about the way I wrote it. Like basically, I think it was like alluding to like not only did I identify with him as this was going to this is like potentially going beyond role playing or cosplaying. Like, like I you was, are the character. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was. And you wrote. You wrote like I can I almost picture myself as Veen on the plains of solitude, battling the. <laughs> <home."> <laughs> It's like guys, guys, the devs actually made a game on me. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. L- little known fact, those are just lyrics from Led Zeppelin. <laughs> also relatable. <laughs> so Crispin, you mentioned actually earlier about Sushi X. Um so obviously Sushi X uh you know was like the mystery editor for Electronic Gaming Monthly. So what's the story with Sushi X and why have a pen name for certain articles? The origin of him was he was a copy of a character in Famitsu named um, Taco X. That's right. Was yeah. Fighting yeah. game. It was their fighting game loving reviewer. And Taco, I, I think, is the Japanese word for octopus. Correct. So it was kind of like he would have all these arms, like he was Taco X. And then whenever um, Steve Harris started EGM, he liked that idea and he wanted a mystery character for EGM. And he just thought Taco was pea food. So go with sushi x and so that's when they created sushi x and yeah it was uh, literally no arms sushi has no arms <laughs> that's right yeah i really really turned it on his head like i'm thinking outside the box um and i don't know how much we want to lift the curtain but i think we've all taken turns at sushi x yeah oh yeah and the another another reviewer for he was he, a few different people wrote as him typically it was people that liked fighting games and also for some reason hated the game boy I don't know that was like part of his persona yeah, part of the mythology like, yeah yeah it was a big bible of uh, facts that you had to follow in, in like Sushi a style guy basically yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah you had to keep it consistent or the, the you know the head office would come down and, and uh, <laughs> say this isn't consistent with the brand oh, yeah, get in my office <laughs> so obviously you had like this pen name anyway but like was there like a particular reason behind it oh you mean in just just in terms of the actual content just in terms of like just having like a pen name, like as far as like a character that's not like a real person, you know? Yeah, because it's he was like super popular. He probably is like the one, probably the most popular reviewer ever, even yeah. though he's not a single person. And this is you know back when fighting games were the most popular, you know, genre. Yeah, he he was kind of the the fighting game guy, and then um and then he would be that that mystery reviewer that that uh you know that would. So it was like a fighting game expert. And actually, the, you know, the, the guy that played him when I started was a big fighting game guy. Yeah, and I think quite good at fighting games. And there was the, there was the, the uh, gossip character, Quarterman. Yeah. Who was, <laughs> who was the other kind of phony character. And that's just we would all collect any gossip that we would hear on trips. And then someone would write it up under Quarterman. And he had, he had like a real old-timey way of writing. Like, oh, check out this dame. I... Tell me in a bar about a hot scoop on Primal Rage. It's like a 50s reporter or something as, like that. As, exactly. As exactly. Yeah. I got the latest here from the Sega Saturn. <laughs> it's like write, writing, somehow writing everything on an old Game Boy. Right. <laughs> got Game Boy camera pictures going on. <laughs> oh, that's a great segue, actually. We'll have to, we'll have to talk about, if there's time again, about Decapitato. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I guess we may as well do it now. So, I mean, like, if you have like stories as far as like with the reviews and also with the you know with like couch potato or whatever else, kind of like alludes to all that. So, 
real quick, I want to tell the story. So Sean and I played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 incessantly. Oh. That was our, and, and there was a mode in it called Horse. You basically, one character does a bunch of moves, and then the other character has to duplicate it, or I think do better. I remember this, it's, yeah. It's, and then, you know, it's, it's just like, like Horse in, in a, a sports ball. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the you know, when you put the thing into the other thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> wait, wait, what are we talking about? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sports ball. So yeah, so the the uh, developers um, were smart enough to let you change the word horse to whatever you wanted. We would we changed it to turd eat, U-R-D-E-A-T, all one word. So at the end of the, the match, if you won, it would say you are a turd eat. We would actually, that's <laughs> what we, we ended up calling the, the, the mode was Turd Eat. Say, hey, yeah. want to play? Let's take five minutes to play Turd Eat. So we go play Turd Eat. Then, whenever Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 came out for the Dreamcast, I jokingly asked the PR person if it had the Turd Eat mode in it. Yeah, why, why, did, well, yeah why, why isn't that in there? What's going on? Because I thought he was in on the joke, but I guess he wasn't. And then, like, he actually went back to the developers, and then he was kind of panicked that they were missing some feature. Uh, <laughs> they, we got a panicked callback from him. He's like, dude, I, I don't know what this turd eat is. Like, the developers, they're worried they missed the mode. Can you tell me more about turd eat? <laughs> yeah, I feel, like, I feel like it was calls e and emails. Like, like this, this maybe escalated a couple, a couple levels up the food chain. <laughs> we got to get in this turd eat mode. <laughs> So every, everyone has a platform. That was ours. So we got on change.org. We petitioned 50,000 people to <laughs> back in. No, that's not true. like some other story to uh, i think like the one that you mentioned uh sean that you wanted to allude to right like something about like uh, couch potato or something potato <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah we well this 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 has many many forms but i'll i'll, I'll kind of start with the base story which is and correct me if i'm if i'm if i'm misremembering shu and crispin but you know given the fact that we had these really really long and late nights during deadlines especially we would inevitably have to blow off steam and somebody had one of those aero b was that hushu or was that just laying around the office had one of those aero b frisbee discs yeah it wasn't mine and um we we had this idea and i don't know if it started in the like during uh when it was still light and we had the lights on in the hallway but we'd we'd have a couple groups of people on this very long hallway that had no nowhere to escape and we would take this arrow b frisbee disc and just absolutely just whip it at the other group back and forth <laughs> and like like relentless like certainly this there was like there was a lot of pent-up aggression not toward each other necessarily i think just generally um as well as just being a little stir crazy from being there late and all the time despite loving what we did and then it turned into we would turn the lights off entirely in the office and do the same thing 
And all you could, you could hear this thing coming down the hallway. And it was just absolutely terrifying. It culminated, and I don't know if we ended up stopping after this. I don't think so, but it culminated. Was that you, Crispin, who got hit with it? And it like broke skin, like, jeez. Like, <laughs> oh, somehow actually cut you. And then the 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 so that that's called decapitato or decapitado, depending on how <laughs> fancy you want to sound, um, depending on your region, anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> dialect. But, so then, then we it became a little bit of like uh, fan, like EGM fan lore for a bit, and we had this little insert. I think it's called the Sushi X Files that I, I wrote for a little while, and we did all sorts of weird stuff that was only for for subscribers. But we basically um, explained the rules of this game. We, we sent in like, what people needed to, to purchase and what they needed to do, and they needed to find this really long hallway with no exits um, <laughs> and probably <laughs> sign waivers. But then we also, <laughs> during the age of the Game Boy camera, we Crispin was absolutely brilliant with the Game Boy camera. And I don't know like if you... I think you came up with this idea, but basically to print individual frames that someone with a Game Boy camera could take photos of and then make, because it had, had an animation feature, you could then make an animation and you could make an animation of the frames that we printed. in so the basically like a GIF, basically in that case. <laughs> exactly, and that's exactly yeah. what it looked like. So uh, Crispin's idea, I believe, was to print this and then uh, you could make an animation at home of Decapitato. Um, <laughs> and, and, and in this case, it was Chris, I believe it was Crispin's head being cut off or Shu's head being cut off. <laughs> but you know what? It was It was one of the art directors. We cut up his head with it. Oh, oh it was Jim Cordano. Uh, Jim Cordano, yeah. Uh, rest, rest in peace, Jim yeah. Cordano. <laughs> After having no, his I'm, head cut I'm, off. I'm actually being serious also. But yeah. <laughs> 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 he, did, he did not pass away from decapitado. <laughs> he survived that and, and lived another 20 years. So Yes. We called it that because when we played this, you had a risk of this thing cutting your head off. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> it, 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 scream it, right? Because it, 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 it's super accurate. You can whip it really fast, way faster than a Frisbee. But the thing is, like when we played it, because the lights went out because we had constant brownouts in... Uh, Lyle yeah, Lombard, right? oh, that's yeah right. like the weather would be perfectly nice and then the power would just shut off <laughs> yeah. it was so, like yeah like sunny and crystal clear just a perfect day and it so we, we go in this hallway but it, what was awesome about the hallway is it had emergency lights at the two ends and right in the middle so you would <laughs> there are two teams so you would think two three people at one end of this really long tunnel or a uh, hallway two three people at the other end and then you would see one team launch it because they're under a light, one of the emergency lights. Then the thing would disappear in the dark in between part. <laughs> and then you would see it in the middle, in the middle emergency light between the two teams, and you would see it flash quickly and it would disappear again. And then you're sitting underneath one last emergency light spotlight, and you just know this thing's coming out of the dark. And any second it will appear in a light just in time for you to duck out of the way or to, to like. <laughs> Like push everyone else out of the way to save your life, and then oh so it's just a ridiculous oh my God. thing. Yes, that, that is. Was, the, that, I'm so glad you remember that specific detail because yeah, that, you, that is key. The lighting, sweating. the lighting, oh, yeah, big deal. Yeah, because you're like, like sweat. I'm sweating thinking about it, <laughs> remembering it. Crispin's shell shock. Yeah, yeah, it's all coming back. 
It's like war flashbacks in the case. Yeah. <laughs> his, his nose is bleeding right now. I know. I saw some serious shit back then, man. <laughs> I can't even tell you. <laughs> hey, I lost some skin skin off my uh, index finger. Yeah. <laughs> back in Lombard. Right. Uh, so the last question I have for you guys, and of course I have to ask about this, because uh, EGM was known for its April Fool's Day jokes. Uh, most famously, the fake code to fight against Shang Long in Street Fighter 2. So what is each of your favorite gags? Mine is, I think, game shorts. It was, um, oh, so there was it, during, at the time, I can't remember when this was. This might have been still in the last millennium. There was all kinds of, of uh, peripherals that were stupid, that vibrated, like vests. And, and this is back. Chairs, like, everything. Yeah, yeah, force feedback was like suddenly a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I, this might have been, I think, Sean's idea. Uh, was this your idea, Sean? Game shorts? I... I feel like most of that stuff was a collaboration, but I'll I'll take partial credit. It's really it feels to me like this is your idea, and you should you should be feted for. I do I do love shorts, so. <laughs> but the best it was game, and then shorts S H O R T Z. Yeah, the, was, Z, the Z is really important. It was a, a basically a jock strap that had a, a rumble pack <laughs> in it. So whenever you put on the game shorts, you would get forced feedback in you know fighting games or in all the right places. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's, it's, Mom will love it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scrotum. Yeah, scrotum. Yeah. Exactly. It all comes back to the scrotum. Yeah, I know. It's, it's full it's circle. Yeah. It's full circle. Just like, like a scrotum. scrotum. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Two full circles. Exactly. It's infinity. It's infinity. It's infinity symbol, the scrotum. <laughs> beautiful, man. Wow. Oh, man. It's a work of art. <laughs> it's like the circles of life. Exactly. <laughs> So game shorts for you. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm uh, just gonna I'm just gonna have to say game shorts. I got nothing else after that. The game shorts. <laughs> game shorts win, wins it out. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you had one there, shoe or. I, I like the ones that really piss the readers off because uh, <laughs> we we set up these impossible challenges. For example, to unlock the classic bonds, uh, James Bond's oh, Golden that was Eye. Such a good one. Yeah. yeah. And then. Um, think we did one for sonic in one of the smash brothers before that was a legit thing oh wow and then, so you, we had all these uh and it, so the the art director or the art uh people on the team would create these really awesome photoshops that look like a real screenshot of for example like all the classic bonds like roger moore and sean connery on the on an n64 screen and yeah. it, it looks like a like you can actually select them and it's like here's what gold mining or Oh yeah. yeah, it was like they did such a good job. I I forgot about yeah. that one. It's yeah. so good. And then uh, same thing with Sonic and Smash Brothers. And then they would like, okay, to unlock this stuff, you have to do this and do this, and you have to do it and underneath this time. And then the the advantage we have with doing or April Fools is that we didn't do it on April Fools Day. Like nowadays, it's impossible to trick people because it's all one day and every, oh, the whole internet's doing it. But mm-hmm. back then, it was our April issue, and you could get that several different days you might get it in march you might get it in late april so you don't you're not expecting us to trick you like that um but yeah and then we get so much hate mail from people like i spent like 15 hours trying to do this thing (laughs) i got blisters i finally did it and nothing happened and they just dedicated so much time to make because we would make the tasks it's extremely difficult but 
possible like if you dedicate enough time to it, like it's it's maybe achievable <laughs> if you're really hardcore i mean this uh, is like the thing that you would like hear about in like recess like in the playgrounds or whatever yeah, like people yeah. like talking about like hey did you try to get like you know say like the blood code for example for like Mortal oh, Kombat yeah. on, on the snes and like that was always like a famous one or like to get Lara Croft nude in tomb raider yeah. you know, oh, things I remember, like yeah that's awesome we had I, that yeah. Too. yeah yeah another so good, good one we had was uh i think it was realistic graphics wind waker uh, the wind waker. I, I think that's how i might have it mixed up or something like oh, that yeah. or tune style one of the other zeldas but it, anyways we we listed it as a real product that's coming out and then gamestop got really mad uh or because they were getting people coming in and asking to pre-order this thing that doesn't exist that's like the battletoads calls all over again yeah oh, <laughs> but it nice. caused some confusion at retail too because some of them were like oh we didn't hear about that and they're look trying to look up the skew <laughs> Stuff. <laughs> That'd be awesome if they just started taking pre-orders against it. Wait, uh, real, real quick, I think that there was like a cheat in GoldenEye using the Game Shark or something that you can actually see all the bonds. So then we were in like a, a Cry Wolf situation where it became like Rare did have a plan to have all the bonds in there, and they put the art in for everyone except I think um, uh, uh, the first guy. <laughs> What's his name? The, Sean the Connery. Most- Connery, Probably. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. Uh, that guy. Um, <laughs> the guy from Zardoz, you know. But <laughs> so, so uh, then it actually became a code you could put in with like the Game Genie or the, the Shark. And then you know, and then that's like, oh, yeah, sure, right. Like we couldn't report on it because they would just think it's another another uh, yeah. cruel joke, just like the game shorts. Mm. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, thank you guys for you know coming on talking about all things EGM. It's a lot of fun, honestly, especially all the stories and game shorts and everything else, the scrotums and all that stuff too. Oh, so, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. take the good with the bad. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, where can people go in order to find you guys online? And uh, let's let's start with uh, Shu and then Sean and Crispin. Um, let's see. I think mainly on social media, most of my names are uh, it's, uh, Dan Shu Shu, which is my last name, so D A N. S H O E H S U. Uh, and uh, now I work at Blizzard Entertainment. And also, I do this thing uh, with some friends and my wife uh, called The Going Analog uh, Show. So it's mostly a podcast and some written content. We'll be doing some video content too. That's that's like the board games stuff. That's about their passion is board games. And, and we cover a lot of that stuff there. It's good stuff. Thank you. Uh, for me, you can find me the easiest ones probably on Instagram at Seanimals. Um, S-H-A-W-N-I-M-A-L-S. Not with a Z this time, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that was taken. Unfortunately. No, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> uh, I'm still writing on paper, so I have books, a lot of kids' books for National Geographic. Uh, my, I have a new series of fiction books called Zeus the Mighty. Uh, mm. The first book's called The Quest for the Golden Fleas. The second book's called The Maze of the Menacing Minotaur. They're really entertaining books for kids that are about eight to 12 and you could just look me up on Amazon, just Crispin Boyer. And, uh, I have a lot of books there. Um, and it's pretty wild that like everyone, I mean, this is a lot of fun to catch up just with Sean and Shu, but it's crazy to think like where everyone has gone since we started EGM shoes at blizzard. And Sean's been doing like, he worked on Seanimals. He, he had a, a video game come out. Like Sean started covering video games and then he created a, a a whole franchise that had its own video game so it's pretty wild we're uh, pretty much everyone we worked with back in the day is all threaded throughout the industry or doing their own crazy cool projects i still want a sequel to that game to ninja town man 
Yeah, it's these, great. Yeah, these these guys pre-reviewed that game. Um, it was sort of like it was a. I think it was it paid because it was like all on the up and up. Like it was separate. like a mock review kind of thing. Or yeah, yeah, just just so we could you know make make any 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 necessary changes. But let me tell you, that was in like that was a trip just generally. But it was like also incredibly nerve-wracking because these guys who i love and respect their opinions on games are just playing <laughs> and i didn't make the game to be clear i made the art and some other really wonderful people actually developed the game um despite having some creative input into that whole process and the game itself but man that was that was really something and if i may uh my son is a huge fan of crispin and his books mm-hmm. uh, yeah and uh so you have you have a, a five star review from my son. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't remember doing a consulting review, I, but I remember us doing an EGM style review for fun. We that's true. We did do that. Uh, one of you, maybe it was Crispin. Then I felt I did, like I did. I did a mock review of it. I thought you, you did. Two, okay. Be, maybe okay. not, or maybe maybe she can't talk about. It. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fine. Uh, but but they, they also did, yeah, for, for part of the PR for the game, they did a, an EGM-style review, all three of us. I think I panned it. I can't remember. I, I, I need to find that. But we even we even designed it the same way. That was like, I, I designed it. It was awesome because it was like, yeah, I know how to do this. I remember doing this back. I didn't design for EGM back then, but I certainly remember the look. So they had the big the big number behind the, the review text and everything. I need to find that. Maybe if... If I can find that, David, I'll send it over to you if, if yeah. you want any uh, fun yeah, we'll stuff. We'll add it to like, the show notes and all that for sure. Yeah, I find think that. that's the easiest thing I ever did because uh, we, we all thought, I, I forgot who came up with the idea. We're like, yeah, would you do an EGM-style review on this game? We're like, yeah, let's all do it. And then all I literally, I think all I wrote was just another ninja game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because Which, yeah, that's a whole story right there. review that happened back in EGM pre our days. Like that was a literal review in EGM was someone wrote just another ninja game, maybe for Ninja Gaiden or something like that. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to rip that off. It'll be really funny and I don't have to write shit. <laughs> Total throwback. Nice callback too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my invoice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you'd like to send us any feedback, opinions, retro games, or topics for us to cover, or anything at all, really, you can email us at ardcast at retrozap.com. And be sure to check out RetroZap.com for all sorts of other amazing podcasts. It's your home away from home if you're crazy about Star Wars, Animaniacs, or pop culture in general. There's also us with Arcast, so be sure to find us on iTunes to subscribe, give us five stars, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. So there's absolutely no reason to not follow another retro gaming podcast. And uh, if you'd like to find Arcast on Twitter, we are at Podcast. Same thing on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at The Guilty Man. And yeah, that is Arcast episode 210 in the books. And until next time, keep it retro. Hi, I'm Chris Penwell from ActiveQuest. And I'm Joseph Yaden. We are a video game podcast that takes a deep dive into the news, covering the latest gaming trends and stories pertaining to the industry. We also do our best to cover the most recent games and like to have an ongoing discussion with the audience.
You can contact us on Twitter at ActiveQuestShow. Or via email at ActiveQuestPodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. You can also find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Play. We appreciate you listening, everyone. And now, on to the show. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.